0: Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Thursday, February 27th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for the next hour or so. Let's go over all kinds of things in the world of sports from a betting focus. Happy to have you with me here. As we keep pushing through this week on the program, I'll start things off with the betters box, my MLB betting podcast segment. We'll talk American League West here on today's version of that segment. Then we'll chat about some of the new spring training injuries that have popped up and what I think their potential impacts. Could be second half of today's show. We'll chat with John Ryan, professional handicapper at John Ryan sports and the number one on Twitter. We'll talk with him about some NBA buy and sell. We'll also do some big East conference college basketball and some big 10 conference college basketball as well. Obviously, as you know, I sound different here this week recording on Skype via my phone. So things do sound a little bit different here with the show. A lot of stuff going on here. Very busy week, to say the least, doing a lot of stuff. With regards to that 2020 mlb betting guide which you can still only find exclusively at bangthebook.com because for some reason amazon being very slow to approve and process that and put it up hopefully that happens here today maybe over the next couple of days but for right now over at bangthebook.com in fact i tweeted on my twitter account at skating tripods this morning uh, with that link to the pdf if you click that link it will automatically download that pdf file for you so That's the way to get the guide all in one place but of course you can scan around over at bangthebook.com look at the individual articles uh, for all 30 mlb season win totals plus all the future stuff that i have uh, in this year's publication also over at the website we've got daily nhl from parker michaels college basketball nba soccer tennis uh you name it nascar we got it over at bangthebook.com your one-stop shop for sports betting news and information Finally, as you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book Radio, presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook, BTB, and the number two hundred is that promo code: one hundred percent deposit match bonus for the sportsbook, one hundred percent deposit match bonus for the live casino at Bet DSI. It's only a game until you bet it. So that we go ahead and get into today's version of the Better's Box. Like I said, going through the AL West here today with the five and fly segment. Won't have the timer on my phone because well, I got my phone to my ear here as I'm recording today's segment. So I'll do the best I can to stick to about five minutes here on all of these teams. And we go ahead and start here with the Houston Astros season, win total 94 and a half for Houston. Obviously this has been adjusted down. you lose a guy like Garrett Cole. Uh, you know, you've got a, a very strange dynamic here this season for the Astros. I mean, we don't really know how all of this is going to play out. We assume that they're going to go with that us against the world type of mentality. Uh, But, you know, hey, I mean, they're going to be vilified in every road ballpark they go to. Going to be a very uncomfortable situation throughout the course of the season. And also, too, I mean, look, this team just isn't as good. You know, you don't have Garrett Cole. You don't have that 1A or 1B, whatever you want to call him, to Justin Verlander. You're putting a lot of eggs in the Lance McCullers basket. You got to wonder about that. Uh, And then, of course, you know, guys like Armin getting hurt here in spring training. Forrest Whitley didn't look very good in his first spring appearance and he's been injured for the better part of the last two or three seasons. So, a lot of depth questions here for this Houston Astros team and like I said, I mean, you just look at this team and it's it's one of those situations where this offense is still elite. I mean, last year they were first in batting average, first in on-base percentage, first in slugging percentage, first in wOBA, first in weighted runs created, plus first in strikeout percentage and first in walk percentage. So, this is still an elite lineup that hasn't changed. That's not going to change. And in fact, maybe this lineup gets a little bit better with a guy like Jordan Alvarez. Now in his first full season, he played a half season last year, looked very, very good in the process. And you've got guys like George Springer who had a big season last year. Alex Bregman, of course, you know, in that MVP discussion, a lot of talent here with this lineup. And now you're going to ask this Houston lineup to outhit the opposition. And, Look, you know, when you get into those situations, I think when you've got an elite offense, a top three offense in Major League Baseball, the pitching staff doesn't need to be great for this team to win the division. Now, that being said, 95 is a pretty high season win total with an upgraded AL West as a whole, except for the Seattle Mariners, who I'll get to here in a couple of minutes. And of course, as we know, you know, Houston's going to get everybody's best shot this season. A lot of people upset, a lot of people pissed off and perturbed by what the sign stealing scandal did in terms of maybe future earnings in terms of guys going up, getting sent down, stuff like that. Players are very upset that major league baseball didn't do more to punish the Houston Astros. So maybe they'll take out, you know, some of their own justice on that Houston team. And of course, you know, like I said, everyone's going to get, uh, you know, or Houston's going to get everyone's best shot here over the course of the season. So With a season win total number that is this high, I have to look over just because of the strength of the lineup and because the bullpen is still very good with guys like Roberto Osuna, with guys like Ryan Presley. And, of course, I mean, this is a pitching factory. They develop a lot of good guys. They don't have Will Harris. They uh, will have to move Josh James into the rotation, so we'll see how that goes. Questions all over the place for the Houston Astros, but, again, with the strength of that lineup, with the strength of that organization, in terms of player evaluation, in terms of generating depth, in terms of maximizing the guys that are there, it is tough to expect this team to take a really massive drop-off. So yeah, I would have to look at the over here, but not a play I'm super excited about. And also, too, from a game-by-game game standpoint, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this team. Um, you, you sort of wonder if they hit some adversity early on in the season. How does that go? How does that play out for them? Because this is a team last year that did not face much adversity at all. I mean, they didn't have they had a couple prolonged losing streaks made up a big percentage of the games that they actually lost. So you look at this team and and you have to think that, you know, they they are built still to avoid those long losing streaks, avoid those long walls. But, you know, as we know, sometimes things don't really work out the way we expect them to in Major League Baseball. So I would lean over with Houston, but you know, again, I think this is a team that will obviously take a pretty clear step back here for the or for the 2020, excuse me, season. Next up, we take a look here at the Los Angeles Angels. Season win total 85 and a half for this team and hey, they finally got some help from Mike Trout. You know, it, it is astonishing to me that Mike Trout, I believe he made his his debut in 2011, I want to say he has 15 career playoff plate appearances as the best baseball player on the planet. And you know, this is one of those situations where you like to think that the angels will go as far as trout will carry them. I mean, Trout's won three MVPs. He's had an on base percentage over 400 every season in the major leagues. And he just isn't enough to take this team to where it needs to go. Now they get Anthony Rendon. They get back Justin Upton. They get guys like Julio, Tehran and Dylan Bundy, to sort of help out with some of their depth on the starting pitching side. This is a team that has a newfound ceiling. Now with a player like Rendon, who's going to be, you know, a 400 on base percentage guy, much like trout. They're going to have a lot of traffic on the bases this season, the ceiling for the angels this season comes down to two things. The first is what happens with this starting rotation last year. They didn't have a single guy make more than 18 starts. They had 19 different pitchers make a start last season. And they were one of those teams that did utilize the opener quite a bit as well. But that was by and large out of necessity. You know, Tyler Skaggs tragically passed away. Andrew Heaney not healthy again. Griffith Canning was hurt. Um, you know, guys like Trevor Cahill just not super effective. He's also a guy that battled injuries. It was a difficult season in a lot of different ways for the Angels. Now they wipe the slate clean. They go from Brad Osmus to Joe Madden. And look, I'm not a Joe Madden guy. I, I you know early on he was very cutting edge he was very analytically savvy he was a guy that you know sort of pushed the envelope as a manager kind of one of the first of the new school guys lately though he's kind of become a crotchety old man maybe things just got stale in chicago maybe it just wasn't a good fit for him anymore maybe los angeles now a chance to start over a little bit but not a great hire it's it's not one that i necessarily love but The personnel on this team is better. And you've got guys like Shohei Otani, Tommy Lastella, Brian Goodwin hit a career number of home runs last year. They bring in Jason Castro, who grades very well from a contact metric standpoint. All of a sudden, this is an offense that starts to look a little bit decent here. And look, I mean, this is an offense that even with the Mike Trout numbers still fails to be league average more often than not. Now I think they can be an offense that makes a big leap, at least league average, likely a good bit higher. Now they are top heavy with trout and Rendon. They're going to have to stay healthy in that regard. But, you know, you look at the pitching side here, and I think if you get an average pitching staff, this is an Angels team that was on pace to win about 85 games last year before they they just wore down emotionally and physically late in the season. But now you've got a team that can score some runs, a pitching staff that could be a little bit better, Julio Tehran is, is not a guy that the market loves a lower ERA, higher FIP, higher XFIP kind of guy, but he's a flyball pitcher in a place where it's great to be a fly ball pitcher. And so are some of those road parks, like in Oakland, like a Seattle, something like that. Texas isn't going to be as detrimental to fly ball guys. Now that they've got an enclosed ballpark, which I'll talk about again in a few minutes here, the angels at least have some hope now. And that's a lot more than they've had over some of these previous seasons. So. You know, when I look at the Angels here, I mean, I think I've got to look at the over. You know, 85 and a half is a pretty lofty number, but again, I mean, they've got two of the best players in the American League, two top 10 players in the American League and Trout and Rendon. You don't need miracles from a lot of other guys when you've got players that can shoulder the load like that. And again, I think that they will be better in a lot of different areas. And if the pitching staff does make a little bit of a leap, and, and it is a possibility, I mean, Griffin Canning has shown signs. Andrew Heaney has definitely shown signs. They can be a little bit better. I don't think that they're a division contender. I don't even think that they're a wild card team. But 86, 87 wins, I think, would be a nice leap for this team. But I will say this, of the season win total picks in my guide, Angels over 85 and a half is about the lowest on the confidence level that I've got because this is still a big leap for this team, and it's still a pitching staff that, Is going to probably finish average or worse as far as major league baseball goes. So this offense has to take that big jump. I'm not sure that's going to happen, but if I was in a season win total pool or something like that, I'd probably like to go over the total there uh, by the thinnest of margins for that one. But the Oakland A's here season win total 89 and a half. And the Oakland A's are finally getting that respect in the betting markets that they deserve coming off of back-to-back 97 win seasons, appearances in the American league wildcard game. And that's, that is a flaw in the system here. I mean, this team's won 194 games over the last two years and they've played two playoff games. Now, obviously they're chasing Houston. It's a race for second place in the American league West. uh, The last three years here, maybe not necessarily this year, but for Oakland, you know, it's a, it's a bummer that they, they just, they don't have that ACE. They don't have that guy that they can throw out there in a winner, go home situation. And they've struggled with that here in their two wildcard game appearances. But as far as a season win total standpoint goes, I mean, this is a very, very good baseball team, probably the best defensive team in the American League. Uh, If not the best, they'll be in the top three. And all of a sudden now this offense has a much higher, this uh, pitching staff, excuse me, has a much higher ceiling now. You know, they've got a lot of pitch to contact guys. And while that works in their ballpark and while that works with the defense that they have. I'm not big on pitch to contact starters. I mean, this is a league where you've got more strikeouts than ever. Last year, we saw the big home run spike. You have to miss bats. You have to put guys away with the strikeout and the A's haven't had those guys. And they've still been very good in spite of that. Now they get a Jesus Lazardo. Now they get an AJ puck. Now they've got Sean Mania back who doesn't have great strikeout rates, but they're better than a lot of the other options there for the A's that's going to elevate this team because they're already not allowing a lot of hits on balls and play. You start taking away some of those balls in play. You keep that elite defense. You can elevate a pitching staff and the Oakland pitching staff could be elevated quite a bit here. We know the bullpen is very solid for them and the offense is very good too. You look at weighted runs, created plus they were fifth last year in that metric. It is park adjusted. So it does factor in how hard hitting is at Oakland Coliseum, but This is a team that, you know, again, I mean, they they just, they do things so intelligently because they have to, you know, they don't spend a whole lot of money. They're not big players in the free agent market. They've got to be creative. They've got to be smart. They've got to push the envelope and be cutting edge. And they do that. And those are the types of teams that I do like to back. Now, with all of that being said, this is the first time in four years I've not had any action on the Oakland A's over because the market has finally corrected itself that win total up at 89 and a half and they could still very well go over. It wouldn't surprise me at all, but I just don't think that there's a whole lot of betting equity in it anymore because it's a lot closer to their ceiling than their previous two win total numbers have been. So very, very good team, a deep team. They're not really a star laden team. If Matt Chapman got hurt for a long period of time, that would hurt quite a bit because he's the best third baseman defensively and a very good offensive player. But the A's, again, you know, one of those, much like the Angels, if I had to play this one in a contest or a pool, the over would be the only way that I could look here. And it's, it's one of those scenarios to me where you've got a team that has a really high floor. And if I've got a team that has a really high floor, they're not going to bottom out. Those are the types of teams I do like to look at from an over standpoint. And that would be the Oakland A's here. And, you know, it, it's one of those things too, where, the only thing I think could hold this team back is health. And, and I have a very hard time with season win total bets or any future really for that matter of gambling on health, because there's so much variance just inherently with the game of baseball. And that's the worry here for this team. They had two openers last year in their 162 games, 12 different starting pitchers had to combine to start the other 160 games and Lazardo, puck Mania guys like that are all injury risks. So this is a team with a high ceiling, with a high floor, but you know, still, from a season win total standpoint, I think it's difficult. I think if you like Oakland in any context, you look at division futures, you look at a World Series future, something like that, in hopes that they you know get to the postseason tournament, uh, either with a wildcard berth or by winning this American League West division. Next up here, we take a look at the Seattle Mariners. Season win total for Seattle, 67 and a half here. This is the worst team in the American league West. There's no question about that. I just talked and sung the praises of the Astros of the A's of the angels. And again, I don't think any of those are strong overplays by any means, but it's very clear that, you know, you've got three teams with a win total of basically 85 or higher. Somebody has to lose in that division. That somebody will be the Seattle Mariners. You know, last year, The offense was decent. I mean, the offense was was bordering on league average. They didn't have Mitch Hanniger for a while. You give them credit for that. They did draw a lot of walks, which is a big reason why they were around league average as an offense. The problem is they got the walks and then couldn't do anything with it. They didn't hit for a ton of power. They don't hit for a high average. They've got a lot of guys that strike out quite a bit. They've lost some of those guys that strike out a lot. They've also lost some of their worst defensive players, like a Domingo Santana, like an Omar Narvaez. But still, I just don't have high hopes for this team. This is not a team with a high ceiling. This is a team with a very low floor, a team that doesn't have a good pitching staff, a team that you know, just doesn't have a good lineup. Not a whole lot of things to really like about the Seattle Mariners here for this year. And again, keep in mind, too, you know, this is a Mariners team last year, started 13-2. and two. They only won 55 games the rest of the way over their next 147. So they played at a low 60s win total clip after that 13-2 and two start. So that's one of the many reasons why I do like the under for the Seattle Mariners have already played this one. It, it's a situation to me where this is just a team that, again, doesn't have a lot of upside on the pitching staff. You know, you say Kikuchi has just not been a good fit here, 650 ERA over his last 21 starts. Marco Gonzalez is a guy that you know outpitches his advanced metrics, but... Still not a guy that I like in a a whole lot of different contexts. Pitches well at home. You know, I mean, T-Mobile Park is a pretty good pitcher's park still. A guy like Gonzalez can survive there. But I just talked about this with regards to the Oakland A's. They have an elite defensive team. So the low strikeout rate for their pitchers isn't nearly as problematic as it is for the Seattle Mariners. Because the Seattle Mariners are not a good defensive team. They don't have strikeout upside for the pitching staff. Very concerning. Very, very concerning there for the Seattle Mariners because you need to miss bats in this current age of Major League Baseball, and they don't do it. And if you're not going to miss bats, you're going to give up a lot of runs. If you give up a lot of runs, you, you better have an offense that's able to compensate for you, and the Mariners just don't have that. And, and this is a team, too, that you know they didn't use a lot of young guys last year. They've got a lot of young guys on the 40-man roster, but they haven't really graduated to the big league level yet. We haven't really seen much from guys like a, you know, uh, like Evan White, you know, a guy like Lewis that they have there, his, his first name escapes me right now. We haven't, you know, shed long was fine in about 170 plate appearances, but we don't have track records for these guys. And the fact that they didn't have a lot of young talent out there on the field in such a lost season last year really does concern me as we go forward here uh, with the Seattle Mariners team. So clearly the worst team in the division, everybody else around them got better under 67 and a half for the Mariners here is one of my favorite season win totals in the American League West. Finally, the Texas Rangers here, season win total 79 and a half. They pick up Corey Kluber, a guy that you know, as I've mentioned before here on the show. And as I wrote about in my 2020 MLB betting guide, I'm not really big on Corey Kluber. I, there was a decrease in command, a decrease in velocity. I'm not big on this fit. Now I do think that because texas is going inside maybe that curtails the command issue for Corey kluber who has given up quite a few home runs you know over the last couple of seasons here and to a degree that happens when you're a strike thrower with the proficiency that he is but a lot of balls leak out over the middle of the plate he allows a lot of hard contact on that sinker it's not a pitch that i like at all for him but it's still a pitch he throws about 40 percent of the time so you know, he hasn't made that adjustment. And, and I don't think he's been a guy super receptive to analytics. Maybe he is down in Texas. Maybe Texas just has a different way of distributing that message. But I'm not high on Kluber coming into this season. I'm not high on Mike Minor at all, whatsoever. Mike Minor last year, a guy that looks like a pretty big regression candidate to me. 359 ERA, 425 FIP, 460 X FIP here. So That's a guy that did wear down in the second half a little bit. And it gets bad, a lot of injuries too. And he's had some high workload seasons here over the last couple of years. Minor is a regression candidate to me. I think Lance Lynn is a guy that you kind of look for some regression from as well, just because he's coming off of a career year. And I think some of those changes are sustainable through more four seamers, more sliders, fewer sinkers. I don't like the sinker at all. If it's a guy that's a heavy sinker ball pitcher, unless he has an elite ground ball rate, you know, 50% plus not really a huge fan of that. So I'm glad to see that Lance Lynn made some adjustments was much better against left-handed batters last year, but I'm skeptical. You know, this is a guy that's had really big platoon splits as a starting pitcher here throughout his career. So if that's legit, if that's sustainable, maybe Lance Lynn stays on that same path. I'm just not sure that's going to be the case. And You know, last year, they did have some injuries. They did make some trades, but they scored 0.8 runs fewer per game in the second half than they did in the first half. Now, of course, for most of the first half, they had Joey Gallo. Didn't have him for most of the second half. He makes a big difference, obviously, and, and that's a guy who really only had about a third of a season's worth of plate appearances last season. He will help this offense if he's out there, but this Rangers team, not great defensively. They've got some guys that hit but don't really have positions. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's not a team that I like because they don't have a high ceiling. They're too flawed. They have too many concerns, too many issues. The bullpen's not particularly good. You know, they traded Chris Martin last year. They traded Emmanuel class a here, uh, this past or uh, this offseason. there's no upside to this bullpen. There's not enough upside in the rotation for me, even though I like Kyle Gibson, even though I like Jordan Lyles, I, they could be good guys for this team. It's just, it's a team where, again, there are three teams better than them in this division. And I think trying to find four teams to go, you know, 80 plus wins, it's not easy. And I think the Rangers will be a team that just isn't quite as good as their peers here in this division. But again, from a game by game standpoint, you know, I don't know what to do about this team because I don't know how this new ballpark is going to play. A climate controlled environment will be closed. Uh, One of the biggest. Um, you know, factors in offenses, heat, you know, temperature is, is a big deal in terms of how the baseball carries that will hurt a Texas team that by and large lives on its power. It will help the pitching staff at least. But you know, I think this is just a Rangers team that, that isn't there yet. And you know, they were a pretty good team last year. They were 58 and 54 uh, through their first 112 games. But also this is a cluster luck regression candidate. I've talked about that concept before from Joe Pita in his great book trading bases this is a team that was very good with men in scoring position and not very good offensively overall so you look for regression in those types of situations they were a 78 and 84 team with their actual record but 71 and 91 according to base runs which again is that context neutral uh, alternate standings environment that's one of those things that does worry me here quite a bit about the texas rangers so Under would be the play there for me, under 79.5. And And, uh, with that, you know, we'll do the five-and-fly here for the National League East coming up on Monday. We'll talk about the five teams there. Should be a whole lot of fun in that segment. Finally, real quickly here, we'll roll through some spring training injury news and notes. And, of course, um, you know, not too long after I posted uh, the better spots there for Monday, News came down that Luis Severino going to miss the full season with Tommy John surgery. Big blow for the Yankees, obviously. At least they've gotten some positive news here this week about James Paxton. He's likely to come back here in early May. That will be a nice addition for them uh, when they do get him back. But now you're without Severino. You're without Domingo Herman for the first half of the season. Uh, The Severino thing is a real bummer. I mean, that's a kid that's got substantial upside. And, And that's a big thing, too, is that that's a guy that has a lead upside. I mean, he has front of the rotation upside and there are some prospect arms that are pretty good for the Yankees. Davey Garcia going to get a chance to make a, uh, a spot in that rotation there, but he doesn't have the upside right now that a guy like Severino has in all likelihood. So when we talk about season win total bets or futures types of bets, the Yankees ceiling has now gotten lowered by the Severino injury. John uh, Stanton is hurt once again by the Domingo Herman suspension, stuff like that. You start adding all this stuff up in the aggregate and it becomes more and more difficult for the Yankees to reach those lofty expectations that were set out by their season win total line, which again was in triple digits. And I, I tend to shy away from playing win totals that are extremes, both on the high end and the low end. I would have said, you know, two weeks ago, and I did even say in my guide, Yankees over would be the lean there. But at this point in time, Without Severino, I I think my tune has to change here. I think you'd have to look more towards the under with New York. Again, it's not being flip-floppy or wishy-washy or anything like that. It's just that things happen in spring training, and and, you know, a lot of times those aren't going to be good things because you're generally going to be talking about a lot of different injury situations. Not an injury situation, but an illness situation that Chris Sale, likely to start the season on the DL for the Boston Red Sox, uh, the IL, whatever the hell they call it now, but he's been sick. It's not necessarily an elbow thing, but I think there's also the chance here too, that maybe this is kind of a little bit of a PR spin move. Just don't want people to panic about Chris sale. You know, ticket sales are already down anyway off the Mookie bets trade, stuff like that. I think there's a chance that, you know, maybe sale feels a little bit of discomfort. They're going to take it easy with him, something like that. Maybe it is just the illness. Maybe I'm just jaded, Uh, but obviously that would be uh, a Big missing piece, to say the least, for Boston, however long Chris Sale is going to be out. Sir Anthony Dominguez, a name that most of you probably don't know, should be the primary setup man for the Philadelphia Phillies this year. He's not back to throwing yet. And that's problematic because this is a Phillies bullpen with a very, very low ceiling. I talked about that on a Wager Talk video yesterday. I don't like the Phillies at all. I've already bet their season win total under. Uh, they're in the 84 and a half, 8 85 range here. Don't love the bullpen. Don't love a lot of things about this team. But I mentioned in the guide that, you know, Sir Anthony Dominguez was like a free agent signing because they didn't really upgrade the bullpen at all. If he can't go, that is definitely an issue for them because they're already very thin on depth in that bullpen. And a guy like Dominguez would have been a really, really big piece for them. Finally, speaking of bullpen things came out today that Emmanuel class A for the Cleveland Indians going to miss eight to 12 weeks with the same injury that Mike Clevenger suffered a strain of an upper back muscle. It's been a bad spring training for the Indians. Clevenger tears his meniscus. Now this class A injury, um, you know, again, the optics for this Indians team just didn't look good anyway, but the bullpen had some upside. The bullpen had quite a bit of hope. Class A was one of the ceiling guys for that bullpen and Look, it's not a make-or-break type of thing. But again, these little things, these little bits of adversity keep adding up for the Indians. It has not been a fun spring training for them. And we've still got four weeks of it or so left to go. So not a real great look for Cleveland right now. It, again, it's one of those things that you know can lower a ceiling for a team because Class A was expected to make that leap, provide some stability. And again, in the era of the, third, of the uh, three batter minimum, he's a guy that gets guys from both sides of the plate out and the Indians have a very platoon heavy bullpen class is a big loss. I mean, of all the relievers they can't afford to lose. He's probably second to Brad hand. Now they lose him here until probably late may. I would say, you know, unlike Clevenger who had to get built back up down in the minor leagues and, and with side sessions and stuff, you know, relievers can kind of bounce back a little bit quicker. They kind of go in shorter bursts, but still a big loss for the Indians. And again, you know, uh, no news, is go- uh, you know, no news is good news when you talk about spring training and obviously uh, a lot of disappointing things are happening so far all around the league. But like I said, the 2020 MLB betting guide over at bangthebook.com in PDF form, in individual article form. And hopefully we'll get that thing up here on Amazon today uh, or tomorrow. But make sure you tune in on Monday for a new edition of the Better's Box as I talk about the National League East with that five and fly segment. We got one more guest, one more segment here for this Thursday edition of the show. That is John Ryan, professional handicapper at John Ryan Sports and the number one on Twitter. John, how's it going today, man? I'm doing well, Adam. How about you? Doing very well, buddy. Been a uh, busy week to say the least here. And you know, it would be nice to talk something other than baseball for a little bit here as we're going to talk NBA and some college basketball stuff. We'll do our usual NBA buy and sell and we'll take a look at the uh, card for the Big Ten tonight and also take a look at this upcoming weekend in the Big East. But John, you know, something that I know you wanted to touch on here at the top of today's segment, we talk all the time about how there are a lot of similarities between the betting market and the actual market. And you wanted to kind of touch on that today at the top of the segment.
1: Yeah, I think we have a good example going on right now uh, with the coronavirus situation affecting Wall Street the way it is. And what's interesting about it is we've always talked about The betting flows and when uh, the public has uh, an irrational exuberance uh, to take uh, former Fed Chairman Greenspan's words, uh, when the public is betting in a a frenzy on one team and the frenzy meaning 75 percent and above, that's usually a red flag. And many times when my math is actually on the other side, it, it produces a pretty powerful situation. And this is the exact same process that I go through um, trading currencies, trading the S&P 500 futures, trading crude oil. And before the collapse, the sentiment readings for the S&P 500 were in, uh, were approaching the mid 80s, which is one of the highest levels I've seen in, in more than 20 years. Uh, that's not to say we're in a, in a bubble like we had with the NASDAQ crash. I'm not suggesting that at all. This is, this is totally focused on the on the virus and how it's going to impact the global economy and how it could impact us here in the United States. Uh, but I did find it quite interesting that, you know, you get those extremes and, you know, there's no fear. Uh, everybody's bullish. Uh, everything's great. The economy's never been better. And there's not really any negativity uh, to even look at until this coronavirus hit. Now, all of a sudden, we're, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater with these uh, huge declines. Uh, You know, we have five big ones in a row here. Uh, And now sentiment is going to shift to the other side, uh, where if you told somebody you were buying stock, uh, they'd they'd think you were crazy. Uh, But it probably is getting close to that time to be doing that, just as we do in the sports. Um, Penn State last night was 65% of the bets were on them. So for the first half there, Penn State looked great. They were up 21 at one point and and had an 18-point halftime lead. And then the the team Rutgers, that wasn't liked by the betting public, all of a sudden mounted an incredible comeback, actually took the lead with 30 seconds to go. Penn State nailed a three to win it. Um, Pretty close to the buzzer, too. It was under 20 seconds. So there's another example in sports that, correlates to what I was talking about with the market, um, Wall Street market, where you have 65% of the bets are on Penn State. And granted, that's not a red flag. That's probably too many. Um, But the point is that the the line did not move. When you have 65%, you would usually think the line would go up at least half a point, maybe a point. And it didn't. And in some places, it actually dropped a half. And that means that the bigger size bets, the so-called smart money, uh, the professionals were on Rutgers, and Rutgers came back and and they covered. So um, just wanted to point that out.
0: Well, in general, we start with the NBA here, typically on our segments, but let's go ahead and do some of that college basketball stuff, especially because we got a four-pack of games here in the Big Ten for tonight. You got Wisconsin and Michigan, Indiana, Purdue, Illinois, Northwestern, and Ohio State, Nebraska. Obviously, as we know, Northwestern, and Nebraska, the two worst teams here. In the Big Ten for this season, but John, I'll let you determine where we start here in, in terms of the games that we talk about. So, which one's first on your radar here for the Big Ten this evening?
1: The Michigan game is uh, is pretty big here. Um, the the um, Big Ten uh, article that I write uh, for you and bang the book, uh, the record combined with uh, the Big East report is twenty six and nine. I think that comes out to like seventy four percent. Um, so I, I did mention this uh, game in the in the article, but now we have you know today's game day, so we have all the, the metrics, all my machine learning stuff readily available, and um, just gonna quick pull this up here too.
0: Yeah, we got Michigan a six and a half point favorite here in this one, total of one thirty, and you know Michigan's a team very inconsistent here, as as I think we kind of expected. You know, in the first year with Juwan Howard, they played very, very well at the outset, struggled in the middle, seemed to be a little bit slow to adjust, as you and I've talked about here on the previous segments. But you think this is a good spot for the Wolverines tonight?
1: I do. Um, they've actually turned uh, the ship around uh, a couple shows ago. We were I guess I was probably ranting about Juan Howard's re- refusing to um, identify the fact that big men on the on the opposing team were just annihilating him. Um You know, a guy like Garza just just destroyed him all by himself. Uh, So what that was going on there was the defensive presence on the perimeter was outstanding. Uh, But it opened up the paint for these big guys on the opposing teams to have one-on-one matchups that they just dominated. And I thought until they got that fixed and stopped worrying about the three so much, uh, that Michigan was just going to be another team in the Big Ten. However, they have turned it around. Um, and not just for that reason, they've, they've really gotten their act together. They've ripped off five in a row now and, uh, have, you know, climbed the, the standings just like Ohio state is doing. So, uh, Michigan has won five in a row against the spread and straight up. And there's a, a system that's gone 75, 38 and two against the spread for 65% uh, winners. Uh, It has an excellent p-value, which we had discussed briefly, I think on the first show, and a p-value is essentially telling you um, are the parameters that you're using just luck that have produced these results, or are they really for real and they work together? So this one is is, has an excellent um, correlation among the parameters. So there's a lot of meaning behind this, and it should do well for many, many seasons to come. So this um, system is to play on home favorites of three to nine and a half points that are coming off an upset win over a conference foe, and in a game involving both teams with win percentages between sixty and eighty percent on the season. So it's pretty simple. I mean, there's nothing real fancy with that combination of uh, of parameters. Uh, but that that supports Michigan tonight, and I, I really I think Michigan will win comfortably in this game.
0: So we moved down a spot here on the board game 6-15, 6-16 in the Big Ten this evening. Is Indiana and Purdue? You got Purdue a six-point favorite here in this one. Are you looking to back the chalk or do you like the dog a little bit in that one?
1: This, this is a tough game to call, Adam, uh, in my opinion. Uh the you know, Indiana is right in the in the hunt. They should make the dance as well. They're 18 and 9, but everybody wants to get to that 20 win uh level. Uh, I, I believe there's eight teams in the Big Ten with 18 or more wins, which is incredible. Uh, I had said in the article that this week's poll would have uh, seven Big Ten teams in it. I, I was off one. They had six. Um, but at, at some point, maybe this next week, they will have seven in the top 25, and they could send as many as uh, nine and possibly ten teams to the uh, NCAA tournament. Uh, so Indiana is in a Situation here going against Purdue, who was ranked at one point this season, uh, but fell apart and sits at fourteen and fourteen right now. So, um, on the surface, you would think Indiana just you know rolls in there and um, gets the win and leaves. Whether they can cover as road chalk, that's where I, I kind of I'm not so sure that they that you can trust them to do that. Um, as dumb as it sounds, Adam, it's like one of these games where. If you bet Indiana, they're going to cover by double digits or they're going to lose the game. Um, So it's really a game I think I would
0: pass on. Um, That's that's about all I see there. Yeah, you know, I look at Purdue, and and one of the things that's concerning, you know, we kind of look for trend lines for these teams, and, you know, obviously we do this with the NBA buy-and-sell segment. The last four games for Purdue defensively, have not been very good and we know that early on in the season they were a very very stout defensive team and even early on in the Big Ten portion of the season they were a very stout defensive team but over their last four games here 1.282 points per possession allowed to Penn State 1.006 to Ohio State 1.148 to Wisconsin we know that Wisconsin's not a super gifted offense I mean obviously they're competent like everybody else in the Big Ten but they're not an elite level offense and then one point zero five five to Michigan last time out. Purdue struggling on the defensive end, and you know at this time of the year when you start looking at trend lines for these teams, I think it makes it tough to lay that six number with them.
1: Yeah, I I, I, I agree a hundred percent. Yes, also have to question Purdue. There's a fine line when you know you're out of it and you're not going to the dance. Um, there's a fine line in performance levels. You know, the, the kids are still going out there and playing hard and, and trying to win the game. But, you know, fractions of a second are the difference between a bucket going in and a, and a shot getting blocked or deflected. And that's what that's the big unknown with Purdue. Uh, I was just looking at the betting flows here, Adam, and it, it clearly has the, um, the public is definitely on Indiana, which is not surprising. Um, so the line opened at seven, it's now down to six, despite only 30% of the bets uh, that are being made so far are on Purdue. So that indicates to me that the, the smart money, the bigger size bets are backing the Boilermakers. Um, and the public is on the, the 18 win Indiana Hoosiers. So that, that adds more confusion um, to me. In other words, I, I would love to bet Indiana. I don't wanna bet Purdue. Uh, I would not take a team like Purdue and lose. Um, if that makes any sense. You don't want to. You want to put good money on a team like Purdue in their situation right now. Um, you know, looking for the the uh, the big upset win. Uh, I'd rather lose money on the on the team that's better. And in this case, Indiana is the better team.
0: A couple other okay. games in the Big Ten tonight. You've got Illinois laying six or six and a half, depending on where you look at Northwest. You've got Ohio State laying almost doubles on the road in Lincoln against Nebraska. And, you know, we talked about this. You think Ohio State really rounding into form here nicely. And as you kind of look at some of the things that they've done here recently, they've battled injuries. They've battled a lot of adversity here throughout the year, but a very solid team there for Chris Holtman. Are you looking to lay the road lumber tonight? You like the dogs a little bit? What are you thinking about those two games?
1: I think I think you lay the lumber, uh, especially with Ohio State. Um, and that probably not like a broken record, but you know Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State uh, were the preseason teams that um, were expected to be at the top, uh, and they've had some wild, wild games, wild losses, uh, some really poor games played, some really great games played, but now they're coming up in everybody's rearview mirror. That is on top of the the standings, uh, the Maryland's, the, the Penn States. Um, the tournament is just going to be unbelievable because I, I couldn't pick a winner right now uh, to save my life. You know, If you told me any one of those nine teams or 10 teams that can make the tournament, uh, I think you can make a case for any one of them to win the, the big 10 tournament that's coming up. In fact, that tournament might actually end up being more exciting than the March madness itself. If that's even possible. Um, but in terms of Ohio State, um, the same system that I mentioned, uh, with Michigan also applies to this one, um, and there's another one here that supports, um, Illinois and also supports Ohio State, and this system, uh, is another good one, um, or I wouldn't be talking about it, I guess, <laughs> so this one is, um, You're going to bet on road favorites of three and a half to 10 points that have a winning record on the season and who are facing a host that has lost 15 or more of their last 20 games, which is Nebraska, and has a win percentage between 20 and 40 percent on the season. So, again, another simple group of parameters that work together, and it's, you know, the fancy word is a combinatorial algorithm. So you can tell that it's just a fancy word, and really this is a, a pretty good example of that. Uh, so that, that clearly supports um, Illinois and I think Ohio State as well. So in the – I'm just looking at another note here. Northwestern is also not, not so hot when they're only playing their second game of the week. Uh, so over a seven-day span, if this is their second game. They're 9-21-1 against the spread in games played over the last two seasons. Um In the Nebraska game uh, with uh, Ohio State, uh, Nebraska is eight and 20 against the spread over the last two season last two seasons, facing a solid ball handling team that is averaging less than 14 turnovers per game after the 15th game of the regular season has been played. So 15th is usually the last game before conference play starts. Um, that's also the worst record in the big ten, eight and 20 when playing good ball handling teams. Uh, and they're three and nine against the spread this season playing those types of teams.
0: One more other simple uh, trend system, whatever you want to call it here. I, I know a friend of the show Ralph Michaels has talked about this before and I know he does a lot of stuff with the killer sports database and, and looking up systems and, and things like you do you know with, uh, with different sets of parameters. This is an important one to kind of take a look at here late in the season. Is that teams that are going for, you know, sort of benchmark numbers, 20 wins, 25 wins, uh, teams trying to get to 500 or get over 500, something like that. As a general rule, you know, obviously we're talking about straight up records here, but as a general rule, those teams that are trying to get, you know, to those round numbers or to those multiples of five, whatever you want to call it, they wind up being pretty good teams to play on. So, that's something for you to keep an eye on here as we go through the rest of the regular season, conference tournament games, stuff like that. Teams looking to get to some sort of benchmark are generally good play on teams. So again, you know, not a, uh, not a blind bet situation. Obviously you still want to handicap the game and look at the matchup between the two teams. But, you know, if you're kind of on the fence about a game could be part of the determining factor for you.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Cause the motivation factor those teams that have 19 wins and you're trying to get to that magical 20 uh is much higher when they're when the opponent has a losing record for example like we mentioned with the purdue game i i like that a lot That has a lot of merit
0: all right so we talked big east here for a few minutes before we get into the nba and we got three games coming up here on saturday couple more coming your way on sunday seton hall and marquette providence villanova DePaul, butler are your saturday games on Sunday, Xavier, Georgetown, and Creighton on the road at St. John's, where they'll be laying a nice number there uh, against the Johnnies. So, anything uh, that you kind of have on your—we're we obviously a couple of days in advance of these games, we don't have lines on them, uh, but you do do a, a week-long Biggies preview over at BangTheBook.com. I encourage everyone to check out anything about those five games. You know, any uh, one or two of those stand out to you here, at least as you're thinking about them in about forty-eight hours' time.
1: They—they they do. Um trying to figure out which one to, to speak about right now. The um, It's basically come down to four teams that, that actually have a shot to win the regular season. Uh, Seton Hall has been, um, I don't know to use the word sputtering, but they, they've been giving the other teams uh, some hope that they can be caught. And the big game for them this week is uh, when they take on... Um, Marquette on Saturday so we have uh, Marquette uh, that played last night against Georgetown and won 93-72 and covered as nine point favorites and Villanova played uh, St. John's and you know they grinded out the win Um, the line was 12 and a half they won by 11 so St. John's got the cover so the games that are coming up now become even more intense and more important for Villanova Seton Hall Butler, especially Creighton, and Xavier, I would put in there, with Butler. So the, the most important game next is when Seton Hall takes to the road to play Marquette. I think Marquette, you'll see, is a two-point favorite in this game. Uh, one advantage that Seton Hall has is that this is the first game they're playing in five days. Uh, Marquette's coming off um, the game last night, so their rest will be two, two days. That that definitely favors Seton Hall here. It kind of the rest the added rest partially offsets the fact that they're on the road. Uh, But if Seton Hall loses that game, uh, then things really really tighten up in the standings. So that's that's probably the most important game for the week. And should Seton Hall lose, that means the games on Saturday become huge. Um, So Saturday sees. uh, as I said, Seton Hall will travel to Marquette. Um, Providence is traveling to Villanova. And Providence is the type of team that uh, is just dangerous at home. There, no one wants to travel and play Providence in Providence. So Villanova catches a break here. They'll probably be eight-and-a-half, nine-point favorites. Um, Butler will be hosting DePaul. They'll, they'll be favored by probably double digits. At, I have them at 10 uh Creighton who in my power ratings uh is the best team in the Big East um they're going to be nine point road favorites at St. John's um and now I'm into uh, I'm already into next week
0: so let me ask you about this here I I know that you you rely a lot on the machine learning tools but I'm kind of interested to get your take on this because over at bangthebook.com for today I wrote up a preview of the uh Oh, it's not a battle for first place in the Summit League necessarily, but it's South Dakota State and North Dakota State. South Dakota State can win the regular season title if they win tonight. If they don't, they need some help because North Dakota State, with a game in hand, they play on Saturday and there's a whole bunch of tiebreaker procedures and and things of that sort. But the thing I kind of keyed in on a little bit with South Dakota State is that there's a been there, done that factor for them. They've won the conference tournament the last three years. They generally win the conference regular season as well. Seton Hall, not normally in this type of position. So, you know, it's kind of an unquantifiable angle. And as somebody who looks at, you know, a lot of analytics, a lot of quantifiable scenarios, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on that sort of been there, done that factor, you know, as we're deciding some of these conference, uh, these conference, regular season championships.
1: That, that's a good point. Um, historically, um, it's pretty easy on the databases to identify teams that were in the playoffs last year. Uh, you know, both pro- for the professional sports and the college. So, playoffs obviously in the the hardwood is is the tournament. So it's easy to identify if the team was or was not in the conference tournament in the previous year, and those teams that are are a perennial. Uh, perennial teams that are in their tournaments do have a huge advantage over facing a team that is in there for the first time in, say, five years. Um, I'm trying to think of a team off the top of my head that's going to be in the tournament for the first time in quite a while. Well, Penn State, uh, but they've been in the tournament. They've never been in – they haven't been in the NCAA tournament since 2011. So there, Penn State will have an experience, especially with – Lamar Stevens being a four-time uh, senior, four-year senior, I should say. And th- that leadership does pay dividends in the tournament. There's no no question about it. The hard part is determining um, that the fact that everybody knows that, and the line does re- reflect the public sentiment. So the public knows that, oh, you know, they got senior leadership, they've been there, done that. So I do think sometimes that that's factored into the line and can cause lines to get inflated a little bit. Um, but that's, that's the real hard part to, um, to dissect the line and figure out how much of it is um, assuming that a team is like a Duke is going to just blow out uh, whoever they're playing because they haven't been in the, in the tournament in, in six years.
0: All right, so with that, let's go over to the NBA side of things here for a few minutes with guys that you know are professionals. We would sort of expect a little bit more of a consistent, you know, effort from the guys that know how to win here at this time of the year. And we like to look at buys and sells. We talked at the top of the segment about some of the different things that are happening out there in the market. And you know, right now it's it's something like a coronavirus. And you know, when we talk about it in the context of sports, it could be a lot of different reasons why we're looking to buy or sell teams. So. As we take a look here for this week, uh, John, for the week ahead, who are some buy teams that you're looking at here right now in the NBA?
1: Uh, the, the buys would be uh, – I, I like buying the Pacers right now. Um, when they get depot back, and I didn't see the time schedule or the, the date that he is going to be back playing, uh, but I think that's a team that could um, end up being a surprise challenge to the Bucs. Um, you know, the Bucks are just steamrolling everybody. And I had a play, uh, you know, based on the math, as I call it, instead of, you know, fancy words. But um, it was, um, well, the one play was the Sixers. And Ben Simmons played five minutes and I, you know, was annihilated. It was a, it was a horrible call. And sometimes, even though the Bucs are, are by far the best team in the NBA right now, they don't get overbought, you know, to use the Wall Street term. Um, they're not playing at an excess level where they're going to revert back to the mean. Uh, if anything, they're going to get better from this point on. So I would highly recommend not to fade them anytime soon. Um, it's much better to wake up the next morning and say, boy, I wish I would have bet against them because the team covered the spread. Um That's much better than uh, trying to to fade the giant. So I would be a a buyer only on on Milwaukee. I like uh, the Pacers going forward as well. Um, On the sell side, Adam, uh, I'm really starting to get um, some topping action on the Lakers. Um, I mean, one game tonight really sticks out. Um, I can do uh, queries at, at the player level. So, uh, as we know, LeBron had a a huge game, Um, first one he ever played against Zion. He had 40 points. Fantastic game. But what happens next is not so fantastic. So, if the next game coming off a 40-point game is against an opponent that has a win percentage below 35, LeBron's teams are 1-12 and with one push against the spread. So they're playing Golden State tonight, who, you know, obviously we all should think that um, the Lakers will blow out the the Warriors. But Golden State is 13 and five. I'm sorry, they're a 13 and a half point underdog. And the Lakers are seven and 23 against the spread when facing these type of poor teams um, that are outscored by their opponents by at least three points per game in the last two seasons. So that's the two seasons that LeBron's been in L.A. So that, that gives you a pause for thought um, right away in, in backing the, the Lakers and just presuming that it's going to be a 25-point win. If I will be on Golden State tonight if that um, means anything.
0: No, it, it definitely does mean something, especially because, you know, we, we had an article from uh, from another handicapper, Dave Essler, over at bangthebook.com on Monday with regards to the Cavs and Heat game. And, you know, the premise of that article was just sort of saying, you know, sometimes the, the bad bet, quote unquote, is the one to make, you know, you've got to take that, that ugly dog, that untouchable dog that nobody wants to take or that, you know, ugly favorite who's who everyone thinks is favored by too many points, stuff like that. You know, that, those are all hallmarks of, of the things that you do too, John, you know, you, you try to find those undervalued and overvalued situations. And a lot of times they're kind of unappetizing, but you know what, it's, uh, it, it's more important to win games than it is to have pretty bets on the card.
1: Yeah, I've I've heard that from uh, some of the new clients that, that we got on board here uh, in the last month. Because uh, I can see it too. That you know they get the, the first couple um, reports on what teams to bet on, and they have to be going what? I'm I'm gonna bet on the Minnesota Timberwolves? Are you kidding me? But then the whole the whole methodology is based on the long term. One day of going five and zero. Oh, is not gonna uh, be the reason why the season has been a, a strong success. It, it's grinding it out each day, as you know, and, and um, working the same way whether the previous day was 0-3 or whether it was 3-0. and And just knowing with confidence that by the end of the season, it's, it's gonna be a nice season. Um, so in the, um, on the Indiana side, um, there is a system here that's, that's pretty good as well. Uh, It's 71 and 12 straight up uh, for 86 percent, 56, 25 with two pushes for 69 percent over the last five seasons. And this is playing on home favorites, in this case, Indiana, that is revenging a road loss to the current opponent of at least 10 points or more. And that the team, Indiana, is coming off a home win of double digits. So Indiana coming off a home win. 10 points or more and and has revenge uh, against the opponent that's essentially it and that's another consistent um, money maker over time it'll have its it'll have its bad weeks or it bad months it'll it'll go you know one in four at, at some point um, it's all part of that process you, you don't get a system that um, no, I'm trying to say here, Adam. You can have a system that's made money like this one in five consecutive seasons. That's fantastic, but you also have to realize that in any given month, uh, it could give back um, a significant amount of it. Uh, but over the course of the year, you know that it's gonna it's gonna end up on the plus side.
0: Well, you can find a lot of those great systems and angles on John's Twitter page over at, at John Ryan Sports and the number one. What else you got going on over there right now, John?
1: Well, the, the last week was a big success with the uh, three free days uh, Friday Saturday Sunday so some of some of the people even signed up uh, Thursday afternoon which is today and of course they got four then uh, but I want to do it one more time um, because it's really been enjoyable to, to meet all these new people and I, I make an effort to you know send a direct message and you know and find out what they like what they don't like with betting you know what uh, information I could provide that would possibly help them with their handicapping stuff. So it, it's really been enjoyable. Uh, so we'll do that again uh, this week. Um, we'll use the uh, um, I'm drawing a blank on a password. What should we use? Um, huh? I don't
0: know. How about, about Vegas?
1: Them? Vegas sounds good. All right. Vegas sounds good. <laughs> so the word Vegas and you get the all the way to um, through Sunday's action that way you can test drive this thing you can see for yourself the the contrarian plays that are 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 most of the plays they're not always that there's times where I am on a favorite and the public's on the favorite and it works out and you know it's a combination of everything it's not just a contrarian type of uh, position Uh, well
0: definitely sounds like a great opportunity over there John I I hope everybody takes advantage of that uh, you know, kudos to you for for doing very well with the articles and, and with, with your picks since we got you here on the show. And you, you've been a great asset. We definitely enjoy having you, and I'm looking forward to chatting about the month of March with you as well.
1: Yeah, I can't wait for that, Adam. I appreciate the uh, the kudos here too. And one last thing, um, your Major League Baseball preview uh, publication is second to none. And um, you know, I recommend that for everybody that's listening that you you know right when this show is over, you you go to the site and download the PDF and. And enjoy because it. it's it's information that's very, very important. But it's also written in a way that everybody, a beginning better can understand, a veteran can understand and appreciate and utilize. It's a, a tremendous resource uh, that's going to it's 100 percent certain to help your your betting
0: in Major League Baseball and get more wins than losses. Well, I definitely appreciate that. Make sure you follow John on Twitter at John Ryan Sports. And the number one, John, appreciate your time. As always, man, thank you so much for joining me. We'll chat with you again next week. You got it, Adam. Thanks. There you go. There's professional handicapper John Ryan at John Ryan sports and the number one on Twitter. Keep an eye out for his NBA buy and sell article here coming up later in the week at BangTheBook.com, and also his big East and big 10 looks for next week with the final week of the regular season for those two conferences coming up on our Friday edition of bang the book radio. We'll chat with Greg Peterson of VEASAN And the Hoopin' with Hoops podcast will discuss conference tournament betting, how some strategies may be a little bit different with that as those get underway starting next Tuesday. We'll take a look at the big Saturday card. And maybe I'll add some of my thoughts with some of my situational spots that I'm looking at here for this weekend. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.